On the Lollygaggers podcast, we value all listeners equally, except for Brendan Fraser, who we value most if he listens, which he probably doesn't. In this episode, Jeff gets hyped for Zweihander and Brass Birmingham, while Justin reads Scalped and gets confused by three billboards. Both Lollygaggers then break down Netflix's new animated comedy, Disenchantment, before ending with the Gentleman's Challenge. Welcome to episode 22 of the Lollygaggers podcast, a show about all sorts of different geek things, from games to movies, uh, TV to comics, all sorts of different things. I am one of your hosts, Jeff. I'm the other one, Justin. How's it going? That's like the, was that four, it's going to be like four tries to get that right yeah. this time? Yeah, not to mention the first try a while back. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. Justin threatened to uh, to let the first one go. Then I had to say some really awful things to get it on tape, so that uh, <laughs> he was forced <laughs> to to delete it. Uh, so anyway, yeah, episode twenty two. Uh, how's it going, man? It's good. Uh, we had a game on Friday night that didn't go our way. Um, it was a Fo- rivalry. Football, game. We're talking about football again, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Football okay. stuff. It's rivalry. I guess it's now officially rivalry because they finally beat us. Up until this point, they'd never beaten us, and then. They uh, finally beat us on Friday night. It's kind of a, a rough shot, but we got a really young team, and I'm hopeful for the future stuff. But as of right now, it's it's not looking super great. But you know, I think we got like three running backs that are freshmen in the backfield, and maybe about four kids overall that have returned from the senior year last year, or that have actually like played a a a, a varsity snap of football. So like, it's it's rough, but you know, blind fly finds a piece of poop every once in a while. You know what I mean? So. Oh well, that's what no, I, I've never actually heard that phrase at all. Isn't it? A, I thought it was a was it a, a blind squirrel finds an acorn every now and then. I've heard that one. There's, yeah, I like the other one better, but it's not poop. It's another word. But PG podcast, right? right? I'm gonna get on. Uh, speaking of the podcast, I'm gonna kind of get on with it. Uh, so uh, I see, uh, according to our notes, that we both have comics to talk about today, uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go first because uh, I've already talked about this comic before. Uh, so it's, I'll make mine relatively quick. Uh, I want to talk about Gideon Falls again. So Gideon Falls, if you haven't listened to the previous uh, episodes, uh, it's a comic by Jeff Lemire, and it's illustrated by uh, Andrea Sorrentino. It is a new comic. It's ongoing comic, uh, and it's only issue six, uh, which has completed the first main arc. Uh, and it, it was a, sort of a, a doozy of an ending. Uh, it, basically, it's about um, this... This barn is this like urban legend running underneath it, like this kind of creepy barn that appears as like the harbinger to evil, like, like bad things are going to happen. Uh, and it's set within uh, at least one of the storylines is set within this small town of Gideon Falls uh, and the appearance of the barn and what that that evil portends. Uh, so kind of interesting. The next the next part, which is part seven, isn't due out until October. So I have to sit around and wait for like a month and a half still, which is freaking me out. Um, so the storyline's pretty interesting. Now, the way this the, the comic has been told, it's been told in two basic points of view. One has been from uh, Father Fred, uh, and then who's like small town Gideon Falls, and then one is from Norton, uh, who's sort of in a big city. Uh, who we don't really know the name of the city; it's just a big city. Um, and Norton's kind of a uh, he's a strange case. Uh, he's he's been seeing a psychologist or psychiatrist, can't remember which. Uh, and he's been wandering around the city collecting what he thinks are uh, small shards, little scraps of this uh, this thing that he calls the barn, whereas Father Fred uh, is in Gideon Falls and like the barn actually appears. And so these two storylines haven't connected. And so finally, 
in issue number six, these storylines have connected. And we understand the relationship between both of these story arcs and these characters and, you know, what's been going down, like, well, the cause and effect of it, which is we have, well, at least we have a better understanding of it. There's still, like, it was a bit of pretty big uh, cliffhanger shocker uh, that issue six ended on. Um, not so much plot wise, but just like, well, what, what? Like it kind of, kind of really, really kind of kicks you in the head a little bit, which was really fun. Uh, the other cool thing about this issue is that we finally got inside the barn. So the barn has been this urban legend thing. We've seen images of it and Sorrentino's art is like amazing when he depicts it. Uh, and there's like this little evil creature that we sometimes see. I don't know if it's a real creature or if it's just like the, the weird uh, work of like the wood itself, like some sort of the grain, uh, but it's so creepy looking, this little grin. Um, but we actually go inside, or at least one of the characters, a couple of the characters go inside, I won't say which, and we start seeing these characters explore the barn and it's like, it's crazy. It's like something out of like a psychedelic 1970s art show, like stuff's all over the place. Uh, things don't really make sense. There's weird kind of mixtures of like metaphor and, and history and, and like people's personal experiences. And some of the, it's just so amazing. Like the art is so cool. Um, and the experiences themselves are freaky and it, all of a sudden time becomes like a key component, like the concept of time. Uh, which up until that point hadn't really been a primary theme, at least not overtly in the storyline. And so it was nice to see like this extra wrinkle uh, kind of come into play. Uh, so I'm a big, big fan of, the, of this comic. Um, I don't know if it's just because the storyline suits me. I like horror and I like um, stories that have to do mainly with psychological horror. I like I like, I like it when stories are uh, very character-driven, very character-heavy. I like to stay away from a lot of... I don't really like... Um, like I don't mind gore, but I don't like gore for gore's sakes. I don't like. I already mentioned before, I'm not a huge superhero fan. So this this comic just like really hit me like exactly where I wanted to be. And I also, you know, I, I've been I've read comics in the past, but never really been like a big avid week to week or, or issue to issue reader. I've usually just kind of picked up a collection from time to time. Uh, and so maybe this is this is like the first one I really I really like subscribe to. So it's kind of kind of exciting, and I'm really looking forward to the next arc, which starts up in October. I also learned like this little uh, other detail that the sh that the the actual story Gideon Falls has been picked up uh, by Hive Mind to be a TV series. Uh, I don't really know a whole lot a whole lot of details about when that might be happening, who's directing it, who's acting in it, who's writing the scripts. I'm not I'm not really sure. But it, I guess there was some sort of bidding war for it in Hivemind. That company actually picked it up. So I hope to see some more news about that because I think this would make a fantastic television show. I, I would I would watch this in a heartbeat. So some really interesting surprises, some cool additions, uh, and I think it definitely leaves me wanting uh, wanting to read uh, the next part pretty heavily. So Justin, I know you haven't started reading it. But you should. It's really really good. And uh, anyone who's listening to this should definitely go go see it. It's what one of the best comics I've ever read in my life. And I've only read, you know, and I've read, I, I'm not as well read in these things as Justin is, but uh, definitely, uh, definitely enjoying this. So Gideon Falls, number six, out now, Comixology. Uh, hopefully they're going to be grouping the first six at some point uh, so you can get maybe a discount with a package, but don't see that yet, maybe soon. So what do you got, man? Well, I, I do think I, I do want to read that. There's another one I got to, I have it. to, so I have to get, there's another horror book that's pretty decent. I have to get your way here soon though. <clears throat> but, um, I'll have to find it. I, I heard about it a little while back, and it's supposed to be pretty good. So, and the art's very, um, very gritty too. I think you'll like it as well. But yeah, which one is which one are you talking about? I have to look into. I forget what it was called. I, I have to name. find it for you and get it for you. But it's. I think I want to. I think I might read Southern Bastards here pretty soon. Uh, I have that on my Comicsology. Uh, a couple other things on my wish list as well that I'm looking at. But um, 
but I'm, I, I maintain my Comixology subscription too. So like, I'm actually getting to read a lot of bits and pieces and stuff. Yeah, not everything, not everything hits me, but like this one definitely has, and I've been enjoying lock and key so far, which is one that you recommended to me. Uh, and so I got through like the first big book of that and I'm like halfway through the second. Uh, so that's been a lot of fun. Yep. But yeah, I, I've been reading one myself. Uh, um, I haven't finished uh, what I've gone through yet. Cause there's, there's quite, there's, it's, there's 60 issues. I'm uh, reading scalped by Jason Aaron and it's uh, art by RM Guetta. Um, so basically scalped came out in 2007 and about 2012, it's got 60 issues in it. I've just heard really great things about it. Jason Aaron does some pretty good work with Marvel right now. Um, so I decided to take a shot at this. So the best way I can kind of describe it is like the wire, but with native Americans is the best way I can kind of like, that's a pretty good pitch. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Basically, the series focuses on Oglala, Oglala Lakota inhabitants of the fictional Prairie Rose Indian Reservation in modern-day South Dakota. As they grapple with organized crime, rampant poverty, drugs, addiction, and alcoholism, local politics, and the preservation of their cultural identity. So basically, the main protagonist is a character by the name of... I, poop, where is it at? Uh, by the name of uh, Deshel bad horse they call him dash but they also just call him bad horse because it's a native american community so they have like these native american type names and basically he's returned back to his old reservation and usually and most of the people that he's been seeing are terribly fond of seeing him because his mother like tries to like spits on him tries to fight him um old friends try getting in constant fights with him and like uh, he's got an old I guess like girlfriend from when he was like 13 who isn't terribly fond of seeing him either. Um, he left when he was young and has come back and seems to be hardened for it. And basically on this reservation, um, they have a main chief by the name of Chief uh, Red Crow. And he's kind of like your main mob boss leader of the area. He owns the town pretty much by uh, owning the um, the sheriff department and all the you know resources he, he he owns the casino too so like a lot of revenue of the reservation comes through him so he's kind of like the overall like unofficial mayor but he basically owns the mayor too and so basically uh when bad horse comes back uh, red crow needs kind of another lackey and he decides to hire him for as a sheriff to kind of be muscle for him and it just turns out over time you find that uh red crow's a secret informant for the fbi and uh, he's basically a special agent trying to get in there and infiltrate the situation to try and uh, stop it from ruining his home community. So he comes off as a terrible human being. He does some really bad stuff, but he is deep undercover. So he must have he, he has to have some type of like heart of gold. Um, the art is pretty gritty. I would kind of equate it to uh, Sarantino a little bit. It's kind of that kind of like look a little bit. It's um, pretty rough. No one's very pretty. The, the difference between that and Sarantino is like Sarantino has he has really fantastic like colorings and stuff like that. This one isn't as like artistic, I would say. Um, but the story is pretty good. I've only gotten through the first uh, arc of it, which is first. It's called um, what was it called? Went the wrong way. It is called uh, Indian Country. Then you got Hoka Hey Casino Boogie dreaming himself into the real world. Dead Mothers, The Gravel in Your Guts, High Lonesomes, The Gnawing, Res Blues, You Gotta Sin to Get Saved, Knuckle Up, and Trails End. So, like, there's a whole big series here, but there's a beginning, middle, and end to this. So, it's one of those things where if you want to see a good full story, 
it's good to kind of get into this. I'm also curious to kind of see like what Jason Aaron's uh, nationality is, if he is Native American and stuff like that, because there's a lot of Native American based stuff in here. So it'd be really interesting if it's kind of like from his roots. So it's distributed by Vertigo. I got it on Comixology, 10 bucks for the first uh, arc. So you should pick it up. I think it's pretty good. So uh, that's Scalped. That's my comic book of the week. What else nice. you get? Okay, so the next thing I want to talk about, I'm, I'm running a gamut this week. So I want to talk about a board game next. Uh, so my wife and I have actually been back to the table a lot and playing games this past week for a while. We hadn't been, we had, a, we had some, you know, some family over and we had other things going on over the summer. So we haven't really been her and I gaming as much as we usually do. Um, because she's like my primary gaming partner. Um, but about a year ago, uh, we backed on Kickstarter, a game called Brass, uh, which is an older game. Uh, that is was being reprinted by Roxley Games and was going to uh, put out kind of a more deluxe version. So upgrade the art, um, upgrade some of the components, uh, and and try to just just bring some life back to a game that is quite beloved, uh, but hadn't uh, didn't really have like the modern day treatment because because the the board game renaissance that's been happening over the past several years. It's not just that the game designs are getting better, but the production quality of these games is so superior than it was ten years ago. Now the game originally came out Brass uh, came out back in two thousand seven, and then there's been iterations of it since like Age of Industry, um, Brass Lancashire, and so last year Rocks the Games got a hold of it and they put up on Kickstarter this this deluxe version, which actually offered two versions of Brass. One was called Brass Lancashire, which is the original game uh, with some some modernizations. And I think it actually adapted um, a kind of a homebrew two-player version that was popular on Board Game Geek uh, and then a two-sided board to play on two different types of boards. And then the second version was Brass Birmingham, which was uh, kind of a tweak on the original design. So the original designer was Martin Wallace, who's one of my favorite designers. And it was the Brass Birmingham version was... Uh, additionally designed by Gavin Brown and Matt Tolman, who kind of made their own spin on it. It's still mostly the same game, but they add some tweaks. The game itself is set during Industrial Revolution time, 1770 to 1870. It's set within Britain, uh, specifically around the city of Birmingham and all the various villages and towns surrounding it. It is an economic and route building game or network building game. Uh, so it involves uh, kind of building... Uh, canals, canal connections between cities and industries or railroad connections between cities and industries, also building those industries and developing those industries uh, in these various locations. Uh, now the primary industries are coal and iron, uh, but also there's manufacturing goods, cotton, um, pottery, and then there's new to Brass Birmingham specifically is a is beer. Uh, which really drew me in. Also, the fact that it was like it was so Birmingham focused. I, I just I keep thinking Peaky Blinders uh, from Netflix, which is like a show I love. Uh, so for some reason, like I just really liked it. Uh, so I ended up getting both both of them because there's like a little deal for getting both. And I we've only played Birmingham so far, um, but that's what we've been playing this past week, and we've played it I think five times now, and it's uh, it's pretty amazing. So the the basic game works in there's two phases, or I should say. There's, there's two sections of the game. There's the, the canal version, which is like the first half of the game, where the only way you can build connections between town and town is via like the waterways. Then in the then at a certain point halfway through, like as the deck runs out, because there's a little card deck. And once that card deck runs out, you reshuffle and you restack it. But then you you also like tally up points halfway through the game. And then you begin the second phase of the game, which is the, the railroad portion. And then during the railroad portion, you can only build connections on, on railroads, right? 
um, so to kind of indicate the sort of the the, the growth of the progression of, of how the, these industries were working. Um, so the, the whole goal of the game is really just to develop industry. So you build these different buildings. Uh, so like an iron works um, or, or, you know, or, or coal works in these various locations. Uh, and then you try to ship goods to various other locations, sell them at merchants for, for, you know, for increasing your, your income. And then uh, certain buildings have higher victory point values than others. And then the amount of links that you have surrounding certain, certain cities as well also gives you victory points. Um, so on a given turn, uh, each person takes can take two actions, and they have a hand of cards uh, that they draw from. It's a, it's a communal draw pool. And these cards either depict a specific town or a village somewhere on the map, uh, or they depict a specific industry like coal or iron. And then what you do is you play a card. Every time you take an action on your turn, you play a card uh, to take an action. Uh, so you can take a build action, which is just to, to remove an industry tile from your own personal board and put it on the main board. Uh, which is a map of the area okay you could build a network link which is to you play a car to build like a little railroad between two cities um, you can do develop which allows you to um, clear out part of your own personal board because everyone has their own personal board with all the different buildings they could potentially build now the ones that are usually further along in the tree are worth more so if you use develop you can actually clear some of the the lower value uh the lower value buildings so that you can get to like the the better ones faster um, you can sell, so you can sell your goods at a merchant to gain sometimes victory points, sometimes to increase the economy that you, the income that you get per turn, or you can take a loan, which is something my, my wife loves doing apparently. Um, and then there's scout, which is a new feature in Birmingham, which allows you to kind of use these wild cards, these communal wild cards. If you're, sometimes you can get stuck and you can't necessarily build where you want to build. So you can get like a wild location. And so it allows you to build in any city that you want or a wild industry, which allows you to build whatever wild industry you want. So uh, the game's really, really good. It's not, um, it's not particularly antagonistic, but you can certainly, you can, because there's, you want to work, strangely enough, like you can work off of each other because when, if I wanted to build like a railroad between um, two locations, but my wife does it instead first, that kind of sucks in the sense that she's going to get the points for that link later in the game. But at the same time, I can, I at the very least can use her railroad and that allows me to kind of connect. So the network's kind of intermesh. Um, sometimes you can block each other, uh, cause there's a, there's a limited amount of spots, uh, on a city to build. Um, so that can kind of suck. There's also the ability to overbuild, which is to build on top of somebody else's building, which kind of, kind of sucks. We haven't really done that yet, but it's a game that it's not, it's not like two player solitaire in the sense that you never interact, but it's also not really antagonistic or take that. So it's this great mix of having high interaction, but not antagonistic interaction, which is really the type of game that we like to play. Cause we don't really like to take that games, but at the same time, I we do, especially me, like the com the competitive game. Uh, so it has a really good blend of those two things. Uh, so anyway, it's called Brass Birmingham. It's it just started delivering the Kickstarters over the past month. Um, there's also Brass Lincolnshire. Uh, the artwork is amazing. It's so well done. There's a couple different artists that are credited with working on this. There's Lena Cossett. There's David Forrest. And there's Damian Mamoldity. And I'm not sure who's responsible for what, like who's responsible for the card art or the, the box art or the, the game board art, uh, but it's all great. Like all of it's fantastic. Uh, there's historical references as well. Like when you play, you play as a specific um, a specific person from the era. And then like the, the rule book actually has these little tiny bios. So it gives you a nice little historical blend to it. Uh, but it's a fantastic game. It's a Euro game. It plays two to four players. Uh, I highly recommend it. Um, 
And uh, there's a reason why this is a beloved game and why 11 years after its initial publication, like it's still getting played and it's still getting new editions because this is just one that really definitely stands the test of time. And I definitely like little tweaks uh, that Gavin Brown and Matt Tolman added onto Martin Wallace's design. So definitely check it out if you're into Euro games or if you're into route building, uh, route building games. Uh, especially if you if you play with like uh, you know your significant other or, or a friend or something like that, this is this is definitely that type of game that you can really think hard about, but not get too uh, too angry at each other with. So Brass Birmingham. All right. Well, I uh, got to watching some more movies this past week. Um, I went on cool. HBO and three board three bill three boardboards three billboards. You can do this. Outside you can do this. Of, Just think carefully. Words. Think carefully. Words are yes. hard. Mm-hmm. Three yep. billboards outside yep. of Ebbing, Missouri. Um, it was one of those Oscar-nominated films. I think uh, uh, Dylan McDermott won the Best Actress. Um, Dylan McDermott. Fran- Dylan McDermott. Dylan McDermott. The guy who was on The Practice? Yes. Yeah. Francis McDermott. I, I didn't know. <laughs> Good job for Dylan. So Francis well, McDermott won Best Actress. And um, so I guess you we found out that Sam Rockwell won. Sam Rockwell got supporting, supporting. Uh, actor. Yeah. But uh, So I watched it. And basically the movie is... There's a woman, her name is Mildred. Her daughter was raped and killed and set on fire, right? So it's a pretty dark uh, subject matter. She puts three billboards outside of her hometown, uh, basically calling out the local sheriff's department, saying that it basically says, killed or raped while she was dying, still no arrests. Uh, What do you have to say, uh, Willoughby, which is the uh, chief Willoughby? Um, so <clears throat> Chief Willoughby's played by uh, Woody Harrelson, and basically the idea is she's trying to motivate through sheer, I guess, shock and awe, the local police department to try and you know, uh, like I guess investigate the case better because no one's found out anything yet. Um, the movie is okay, I guess. I I, I don't really understand how um, it got nominated so much um it was directed by uh martin mcdonough and written by martin mcdonough it's got francis mcdermott woody harrelson sam rockwell a bunch of other people um that they're like you haven't really seen they're not like headliners but like if you see them you know them type of stuff um and i had a really hard time a hundred percent enjoying this film because the structure of the the act structure of this film was very strangely put forward. Like it wasn't necessarily like people getting resolutions or you know a, a, a flowing arc. It was more like this thing happened, then this thing happened, then this thing happened, and it's very strange. Like Sam Rockwell's character has a bit of an arc, but it's not very. Nothing is ever resolved in this film. There's no, there's no resolution, and this isn't like um, part one of two. It's like this is it, and so like, I don't know. It just maybe I'm just not smart enough. That can't be it. I'm super smart. You're uh, a very intelligent man. Yeah, definitely. That's not the case then. But like, you this are. Movies just it's so strange how it's like paced and like. It's super horrific and graphic at times, but then it's also funny. But it's not like Fargo, where like Fargo did a good job of like balancing that. This is not like that at all. It's just really strange. And I don't I don't really understand why she got best actress. Like she did a good job, but like I also watched Itanya recently and I think that 
uh, Margot Robbie was phenomenal in that film. And so the fact that Frances McDermott won it over her blows my mind. And Sam Rockwell's character wasn't, I don't believe, Oscar-worthy. I feel like he just got an Oscar because he's Sam Rockwell. You know, he does a lot of really good films, and maybe the pool was thin that year, but, like, there was nothing in the character where I was like, oh, wow, this is crazy. It's like, no, he just plays a jerk Mm. that becomes less of a jerk by the end of the movie. And it's not, like, it's not terribly impressive to me. Like, there wasn't I wasn't enthralled by his performance or like taken in or thought he was that person. It's just like it's just Sam Sam Rockwell playing a dick, you know, that's just all it was. But like I don't know. It's just weird. I, I wasn't a huge You sound fan very of it. frustrated by it. It's pretty I'm hilarious. Super Your frustration is palpable. It. Yeah. It's yeah, I just don't I don't understand why it was so revered. Sure. Um but like it's okay, but none of nothing's resolved, and it's not like a, well, you you kind of like come up with your own decision as to what happens. Just kind of like the movie just kind of ends after things happen, and that's it. It's just I don't know. Wasn't a huge fan. I have a I have a friend who really suggests like you gotta watch it, and I watched it. And I'm like, what? Why? Why did I have to watch this? I I like The Shape of Water way better. So, anyways. Uh, three boards, three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. Watch it, I guess? Question mark. Maybe you guys will get it better than me, but I don't know. I wasn't a huge fan, so yeah. There's that. What else you got? It's all right. You can't like every single thing you want. I guess so. I guess I'm not as highfalutin as the people of the academy. I guess that's weird because when I think of you, the first thing I think of is highfalutin. I yes. have the most uh champagne mm. and caviar tastes, you know. Sure. Sure. Like tonight, I'm having shake and bake. That's champagne caviar right there. <laughs> what did you know that when I played football in high school, uh, my nickname was shake and bake? Not shake I, it, they call and it bake it. Because because of my last name, that's why. Not because I was oh, okay. like particularly good at it. So it wasn't baconator. Uh, oh, that's unfortunate. No, it was not baconator. That's what Keith calls me, and that's also about bacon and not baker. So uh, right, I still right. don't think yeah. that makes a whole lot of sense. And every time he says it, I just I think I kind of want a hamburger. Okay, listen, uh, let's get back on track here. I want to talk about a tabletop RPG that I am super hyped about uh, that I just discovered myself within the past couple of weeks, um, but has been around for a little while. It's, a, it's an independent, it's more, it's more indie. It's not some big like D&D or Pathfinder or, you know, Paizo game. Um, it is a little bit smaller. It's called Zweihander. Uh, it is, they, they're currently running, the reason I'm talking about it now is because they're currently running a Kickstarter uh, for one uh, for a supplemental book uh, to pair with Zweihander called Main Gauche, uh, G-A-U-C-H-E. Uh, and they currently have, as of this recording, about nine days left. So it's September 5th is when that Kickstarter ends. So it's a tabletop role-playing game uh, in the vein of kind of more old-school products. Uh, it's put out by Grimm and Perilous Studios, primarily a guy named Daniel Fox, uh, who uh, I think is sort of the primary designer for this. Um, it's sort of like a clone, or at least it's evolved out of old Warhammer fantasy RPG. Uh, it's a little different than the type of systems I run before, because I, I normally, I've mostly run D20 systems. Uh, so things like D&D, Starfinder, Pathfinder, uh, even Cypher system is, is, is D20 based. Um, so this one is a D100 system. It's percentile dice. So it's a little bit different. Thematically, you would uh, I, I would place this, in, and they do they mention this themselves in sort of the framework of like The Witcher, uh, the, the 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 video games and the books. 
um, Game of Thrones and Darkest Dungeon, if you played that. Uh, so it's got kind of a gritty, dark, gothic feel to it. Uh, so it's a little bit more low magic. It's not as high fantasy uh, as like a Tolkien world or something like that. Uh, but the game system is pretty adaptable. And so they encourage you to just figure out how to put it in your own, you know, whatever world that you're putting it in. So I can certainly see this in my homebrew uh, kind of medieval fantasy setting that I have going on. Um, I don't know if I would call this like purely medieval because there's guns and stuff involved, which I kind of like. There's like witch hunters and there's, you know, there's blunderbusses and stuff like that. So that's kind of cool. Um, one of the other uh, other PDFs they have along in the Kickstarter is a dark astral chapbook that gives you some guidance on how to adapt this for a space setting too, which is kind of nice. Uh, so it's a D100 system which means that whenever you try to attempt a skill check or something like that, you roll two D10s uh, and you determine what you rolled as a D100. And it's a, you have a percentage chance. Like your, your statistics tell you how, like what's the percentage chance of you completing something, if you, if you successfully doing something um, based upon like the difficulty of that, of that particular, particular check. And if you roll that number or lower, uh, then you have succeeded. If you roll above that percentage, uh, then you have failed. Uh, so it's pretty simple. It's got the same basic concept as D20. You just roll two of them and it's like there's a bigger there's a bigger spectrum of numbers. Now, one of the reasons I absolutely love what I've been reading so far of it and the videos that I've been watching is the how it just completely embraces the concept of randomness um, and primarily in how characters are created. So in this game, the character creation system is one where randomness plays a major role in every single aspect. A lot of games have you randomly roll your stats. Same thing with this, but not as many games, at least not the ones that I've been playing, uh, make you randomly roll some of the other things that Zviander does. So like you randomly roll your gender, like you pick your, like your sex, like you roll a D100 and you're either a male or female from it. And then you can decide on, on like whether or not you're cis or trans, which is really nice that they actually have that sort of inclusivity uh, within the language of the character creation. Uh, and then you roll randomly in terms of what your actual profession is going to be. Profession is sort of their equivalent of class um, and a whole bunch of other things, uh, including it's like, so when you, when you decide your, your, your race, like you can either choose just to be human, or if your GM allows it, you could choose to be any of another uh, of other types of races. So there's like dwarves and, and gnomes, there's uh, ogres and elves. And if you do, you can kind of roll randomly about what you become. And then, which is really interesting is that, each race isn't um, like purely homogenous, meaning that not every gnome is going to have the same cultural trait. Now, a lot of games, there's like racial traits and racial feats that are involved. Within Zweihander, you randomly roll that. And so if you have two people that happen to roll gnomes, both of them might roll something slightly different and have a little bit of a different flavor when it comes to what type of gnome they have, which is really great because... For some reason, in a lot of these other games, we we tend to to think that every single gnome, like the, even though if they grew up within a different tribe or within a different village, it's just sort of the same thing. And so I like that cool that cool concept. They also have this thing called dooming. Uh, so you roll randomly to see which, and I hope I'm getting this right, to see which season uh, you were born in, and then you roll based upon that season. So you know, autumn, winter, spring, summer. Uh, you roll what you're doing is. And I think the idea is that at around 10 years of age or something like that, everyone's taken to like a soothsayer and that soothsayer predicts your death and they tell you how you're going to die. Now, obviously they don't tell you specifically like, hey, when you're 47 and you and you decide whether or not you should have that second helping of steak, you don't have that second helping of steak because you're going to choke on a bone. Like that's not what they mean. They give you some sort of like really vague kind of fortune cookie wisdom. Um, and so- it, it's, I guess, with the intention of, of trying to have you help inform your role play, like how are you actually going to play that character, which is really, really cool. 
Now, the profession list is enormous. Um, there's something like a hundred, I want to say there's like a hundred-ish starting professions. And then there's a bunch more, um, I, I think they call them expertise profession, professions or advanced professions, something like that. There's not like leveling in the same way that you would think of, of like leveling one to 20 in D&D. Instead, you, you, are, you start with a profession and then you kind of level up and gain some sort of mastery over that profession. And eventually you can kind of choose where you want to go to next, what profession. And it gives you kind of a, a like, the, I guess the idea there is it gives you a couple sessions uh, to really get a handle of how the game works and how the campaign's going to function, like the setting and what kind of, you know, monsters and what kind of uh, tasks you're going to be expected to perform. And based upon that kind of that time, you can then make a more educated choice about what you're actually going to play, as opposed to just starting off and being like, I'm going to play blank. Um, and so when you when you get your profession, your starting profession, there are six different archetypes. There's academic profession, commoner, knave, ranger, socialite, and warrior. And then within each of those, if you're if you're using the main gauche um, supplement, there's something like 10 different options within each of those. And so you then you roll like another D100, um, it actually might be more than 10. Um, you you get whatever that subclass is. So let's say like you roll a D100 and you get an academic profession. Then you roll another D100 and you might get an adherent, you might get an uh, anchorite or an antiquarian, you might get a forger or a pamphleteer or a quartermaster or a preacher. Um, let's say you rolled a socialite profession as your archetype and you roll a D100 again, and maybe you're a quack salver, which is like a snake oil salesman, or you're a jester. And you say so you're playing literally a jester or a fop which just sounds hilarious. Um, and then there's, you know, and some are, are more combat focused, at least, you know, by the names and some aren't, you know? So I really like the fact that there's just so many options and there's an immense amount of professions that allows for wonderful different combinations. And there's just such a good sense of humor to it. And you're playing like regular people that are being affected by this like gritty, dark, grim world around them, as opposed to playing like what are amounts to superheroes. Um, so like one of the starting classes you can be is like a prostitute, which is just, um, okay, sure. Rat catcher, which is, I think kind of an old school joke there. Um, and so there's some really interesting things going on. Gutter snipe, grave robber. I, I just love the, the theme there. Like, like how that it's just dripping with, with such great, uh, great ideas. And then when you start combining future professions, I think it's by the end of your third profession is sort of the equivalent of reaching like level 20 or something like that. And, and, and a pathfinder, or D and D game. Um, so it's really, really interesting. There's some cool mechanics I like too. I like the wound system. It's not so much HP, but as it's like a wound track where if you take damage that exceeds your defense score, uh, you move down on this wound track. And so maybe you, you're, you quote, become lightly wounded or critically wounded or severely wounded, et cetera. And every time you move down this track, there's a chance that you might accrue like a long-term wound of some kind. Like you might lose a limb or, or severely injure yourself, lose an eye, something like that, uh, which I really, really like. There's exploding dice. I love exploding dice. That's when, uh, if you're rolling damage and say you're rolling a D6 for damage, uh, if you roll a six on that die, that means you get to continue rolling. You get to roll another D six and you can add that total. If you keep rolling sixes, you just keep rolling die. And it just, it has the, the, the potential for such huge hits. Um, now main gouge, the specific supplement that, that they're, that they have up on Kickstarter adds a bunch more professions, items, weapons, armor. It's also got rules for vehicular combat. 
Um, so like chariot fights or, or, or something like that, carriage fights, which is hilarious. It's got some uh, alchemy systems. It seems to talk about uh, more stuff about daemons and, and other things. Also has details for monster and NPC creation, uh, which seems pretty cool. There's a bunch of add-ons you can have as well if you choose to. Uh, things like physical card decks for your magic, so you don't have to like remember everything. You can actually play them like cards with these nice, big, beautiful-looking tarot cards with some awesome art. Um, and there's other things like monster cards and injuries and mishap cards, which are which sound pretty fun. Um, the you can get twenty bucks for twenty bucks. You can get the PDF of the core rulebook itself and the main gauche supplement. Uh, but then there are higher tiers that also give you some physical rewards too if you're interested in doing it you can also add on certain things so if you're interested in getting a physical copy of any of these books you can do that uh i have and and we in some of my players at the start of our, our last session we messed around with character creation while we were waiting for everyone to show up and so we just started randomly rolling some stuff based upon what i've learned from watching some youtube videos from like adam Cobill um up on youtube which is which is some really good stuff up there um there's also some uh, actual play uh, games going on, including the creator himself. Is, he's, he's actually been broadcasting or, or recording some of his live games. I think there's like 11 or 12 episodes of that that are linked to on the Kickstarter page as well. Um, so looks pretty interesting. I'm really, really hyped for it. Uh, and I, I definitely enjoy everything I've seen so far. And I've really been reading a lot on it uh, over the past couple of weeks since this Kickstarter. Uh, it's also just won an award at the most recent Gen Con about a month ago for best, uh, best I think it was best game product in the RPG category, something like that. Um, so they have these things called Ennies, which are basically the Gen Con awards for, uh, for certain types of game categories. And so it seems to be getting uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of credit from, um, from those who sort of examine the, the actual, uh, the genre itself with a with a keen eye. So super excited for Zvihand there. So uh, up on Kickstarter now, main gauche if you're interested. All right. Last thing I want to talk about is uh, we kind of avoided it for a little while because it's a touchy subject and stuff. But currently Guardians 3 is uh, suspended and delayed indefinitely, um, which makes me worry. But I know that part of it has to do with the fact that they're probably trying to find a new director because James Gunn's out of it. Um, to me, the only person that could probably do it that would do a decent job would be uh, Takaiwa Titi or the Russo brothers, because I thought the Russo brothers did a fantastic job in Infinity War capturing the Guardians' essence, I guess. But it's just a shame that it's come to this. I know that a lot that there was a release a while back where the Guardians' uh, cast and crew got together and showed their, uh, I guess, disapproval of Disney's choices to uh, can um, James Gunn. The most, vo uh, ver uh, I guess, verbal of all of them would be Batista. He is not happy at all about this whole thing. Um, he's not been very all. vocal. Um, but I just hope that they can kind of come to a solution because I think out of all the marvel movies this is probably you know the most consistently fun and entertaining one it's um always had a great tone and i think a lot has to do with the james gunn style of of directing and like what he likes in his types of films but you know hopefully they can kind of come up with the next chapter of this and still capture that that i guess uh uh joie de vivre to make it as good as just i I really hope that they can kind of finish this off because I love all these characters and I want to see them at least finish out this particular group in you know a trilogy, or you know move from that to something you know similar because I know they're coming out with the, with the Eternals, 
I know Takai Watiti is a name they've been throwing around to do another movie. And um, I know the Eternals is one of them that this possibility for him to do. Eternals is another space hopping cosmic type of group. Um, so I'm curious to see what happens there. And I know that they still want to do galactic stuff, but um, I just really hope this gets resolved in some way. Cause I really like these movies. I think they're the best ones. Like they're the, they're the most rewatchables out of all of them. Um, I also really like the Captain America movies, but I just think these movies are just so funny. And uh, Baby Groot's fantastic. So, um, even though it's now Teenage Groot. So, hopefully they come up with a solution. So, oh well. I just want to talk about that for a second. And and, and how sad I am that they've uh, delayed the movie. So, that's all I wanted to get in. Just a little bit. So, yeah, I'm good. Okay. And on that note, I think we're done with our very lengthy rundown for uh, for today. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's go talk about Disenchantment. Yeah. It's the movie. Breakdown. Now available on Netflix, Disenchantment is the next animated comedy from Simpsons and Futurama creator Matt Groening. Now, Disenchantment takes place in the fantastical kingdom of Dreamland and follows Bean, voiced by Abby Jacobson, uh, who is the daughter of King Zog and therefore the princess of Dreamland. Uh, she's accompanied by her two closest friends, Eric Andre's Lucy, who is a small black demon that's frequently assumed to be a cat, and Nat Faxon's Elfo the on-the-nose named elf who recently escaped from his sugar-and-sweet-filled Shire-like home. Now, most of the episodes, at least in the first half of the 10-part premiere season, are driven by Bean's dissatisfaction with her lot in life. This includes her desperation to avoid a royal marriage throughout the first two or three episodes, also her frustration with her father's lack of trust in the freedom that he allots her, uh, and just a simple desire to be young and have fun. As you'd expect with any groaning work, the show is filled with all sorts of satirical swings at a variety of topics, uh, some that land, some that miss, tons of sight gags. The art style, too, is immediately familiar with animation entirely in line with Groaning's other series. Uh, Justin and I have both watched the first uh, part of uh, first season. I think I've gone through about eight episodes, Justin's through about four or five. So we're going to talk about our first impressions. We're probably going to spoil some things here and there in the process, but since this is more of a comedy show and less really a mystery or suspense type show, we don't think this is going to really experience too much. Still, if you don't want any spoilers at all as you uh, delve into disenchantment, uh, you probably want to skip forward uh, to the Gentleman's Challenge. Uh, with that warning out of the way, Justin, what do you think about disenchantment? Um, I liked it. I, I'm I'm a fan of Matt Groening. I like uh, I watched The Simpsons for years. I don't really watch it anymore because you know, I've I've taken such a I guess sabbatical from it that it'd be really. It's not like you need it for context, but I'm one of those guys that wants to watch everything of it. So I think it'd be, it takes so long for me to catch up. But like I I love Futurama. Futurama is kind of like one of my favorite TV shows of all time. I love Zoidberg and. And Bender, I think they're fantastic. So, I I I I enjoyed this. I liked the unique feel of it. Um, I thought the the uh, Dreamland was a really really cool little zone. I really hope that they do more to expand from it. Um, because uh, it's it seems like you're just around these three people all the time. Uh, of Elfo, Bean, and uh, Lucy. Um, <clears throat> there's lots of small little chuckles, but I don't think there was ever like laugh out loud type of stuff. But that's how I felt with, with, uh, Futurama. Like I never, you know, after watching Futurama a few times, then I start seeing more things and I think certain things are more funny and hilarious, but like, 
when on first watching, they're just kind of, eh, that's funny. That's a pretty good one. But, like, I, this is the same for this. I never, like, had, like, a laugh fit. It was more like a couple of chuckles here and there. Um, I think Elfo is the best character. Um, he's adorable, and he thinks everything's fantastic, even when he was being hung by a a, a, a licorice, uh, what was a licorice noose, and uh, his grandfather wanted to talk to him. On so the gumdrop tree. Yeah, yeah. The gumdrop tree. And his grandfather's like, I want to talk to you and tell you one last thing before you die. And then he pulls the stool out from under him, turns away, and starts talking to him, and like Elfo's dying behind him. I thought that was funny. Um, I, I think with this show though it's gonna take a couple seasons for them to really hit their stride um and i, I think it is felt that, that fair is that like a fair thing though like to, to say like hey here you get a couple seasons to find your well like, when I, I don't think it's very fair like well when uh, you have a guy who knocks it out of the park so often i think is it, it really just, often it's like twice in 30 years he's two for two and those two are pretty good um, sure but like I don't know. Oh, no. I just think like all comedies take a little bit. Like even like me and you love Scrubs. Scrubs took like a season or two to pan out and then to really get the characters and how they act, how they interact okay. with one another. Um, or like The Office. The Office, you know, the first season or two was kind of a copy of the British version, and then they found their own voice and it got really good. Um, so I think it just takes a little bit for all comedies to kind of feel out their characters to get better. And I hope this is the case for this, or it'll just end up being a C-level show. Because I think it's okay. I liked it. I just want to see them expand and get better. Um, the animation is hit or miss at times. Maybe it's just because it's a different style, kind of. But like some of it looks really, really great, but then some of it seems not very detailed um, or kind of lazy. But um, maybe it's just the art style they're kind of going for is a little bit different. Because like when I think what do you, of like, what do you mean by that, I'm kind of curious. well, like I didn't the get ogre. That the ogre seems kind of basic, right? That was in the that he gets stabbed in both eyes. But like when you think about the creatures from Futurama, like Omicron, Percy, I eight, they're pretty detailed in how they look. You know, with like all the different uh, parts about them. Um, I don't know. It just seems like sometimes I'm not saying it's terrible animation. Just sometimes it wasn't as good as I've seen. But certain stuff is that really is really that good. like an animation issue, or is that just like you didn't like the style? Of, maybe of... maybe it's just the style, and maybe it just maybe it's just gonna take some time for them to get better with it. I don't know, but like I I just know that Simpsons can look really really good sometimes, and Futurama can look really really good sometimes. I just didn't get that all the time from this, so maybe it just. Maybe I just need more exposure to it. I only watched four episodes, so. Um, but I enjoyed it. What did you think? Um, I had, you know, similar reaction. Uh, I don't love it, uh, for sure. I can say I like it. And there were some high points. Um, but I also, I've I, I got to be honest, like the first couple episodes, I got kind of tired of Bean after a bit. Um, I, it felt like she was... Uh, I felt like she was a little, a, a touch too whiny at times. Like I agree that Elfo, I think is hilarious. Like his, his ignorance, naivete, whatever you want to call it. Like, it's just so funny. And like, it creates these weird kind of awkward moments where like, he's just kind of unaware of what's happening and, uh, or his bluntness uh, is like innocent bluntness just works so well uh, comedically. Um, Lucy's okay. But I also think Lucy, 
I don't see Lucy as like like really the funny person as opposed to like the setup for funny like really kind of just comments on like all sorts of weird stuff. There's like an interesting dynamic. It's basically Beans the per you know Beans the character, and then Elfo is kind of like the angel on on her one shoulder, and then Lucy's sort of like the demon or the devil on the other shoulder, sort of constantly pull, pulling and pulling uh, pulling and pushing like her to go and do different things. Um, but I felt like the first couple episodes, it felt a little a little rough for me. But after a while, I actually did start to like Bean. But I would say it took about, I think I think it took until somewhere around episode five or so, um, which I think was my favorite. It was the one where Bean, I'm not sure if you've gotten there yet, but Bean basically gets kicked out of the castle and has to go get her get, get a job. So she goes and gets her first job, which doesn't go particularly well. There's this amazing montage where she's just going and failing at all these different jobs. And at one point um, you see her in a, uh, in a shop where she's just like hacking away at meats. And she's like, man, I'm a really good butcher. And then the owner, the shop owner next to her is like, this is a pet store. And it just made me laugh really, really hard. Um, and then she also gets a job as an executioner, which is great. Like it's pretty hilarious. And there's um, a moment where she goes into this torturing pit and it's all very incongruously uh, kind of like happy and peppy and peppy. And there's a guy who's on like uh, one of those stretch tables and she's supposed to go kind of get his last meal. And so she starts talking to him and he's telling her what she wants. And she's constantly kind of whining and sort of talking him out of it, saying it's not really good, which presents the idea like because the guy eventually is like, please stop no more because she's kind of un unknowingly torturing him because of her kind of whiny personality. So like because of that, I felt like, oh, OK, I feel like maybe there's there's this was like intentional. And so, or at least they're, they're aware of it. And she really, things kind of started to click after that. Um, one of my other complaints I think I have about it is that I feel like they're, they're not exploring enough. Like we're in dreamland a bit, but like the dreamland locations aren't, they're not, I don't think they're creating like the iconic locations that we've seen in like the Simpsons, for instance, with like, you know, the school with, you know, or, or the quickie mart or, um, or the nuclear plant, like these very iconic locations with specific characters that are recurring. Like there are recurring characters in here, but the locations themselves don't seem particularly developed yet. So there's a ton of sight gags of all sorts of different like medieval uh, shops here and there. And they're making a lot of smart, clever word jokes here and there that are great. And they make me chuckle every time I see them or, or grin or something. And I'm highly appreciative of them, but I don't really, I'm not really like glamming on to like a whole lot of uh, like recurring characters yet or recurring to, recurring locations. I don't think they've fully explored the world. Obviously they haven't fully explored it because it's the first season, but I don't think they've explored it enough. Um, episode six, I, I really, really enjoyed as well. So like five and six back to back really started to start. I started to really like the show a lot more. First four episodes, I was a little iffy, but five and six really started to get me because six was Swamp and Circumstance, which is a hilarious title. Um, but they actually travel to uh, Queen, the Queen, I can't remember her name, Queen Una, I think her name's Una, Queen Una, who is like a salamander person. Um, they travel to her homeland, which is in a swamp to sort of reaffirm this, uh, this peace treaty uh, that the Kingdom of Dreamland has had with this, with, with Dankmire, uh, which is the name of, of that location. And we actually go somewhere else and we expend, we, we spend a, a series of time outside of, of like the basic kingdom. So I feel like if we're going to spend so much time within the kingdom, I would like to get more uh, kind of start to establish more foundational locations that we can kind of come back to from time to time. And if we're not going to do that, then let's explore beyond it, because I think fantasy, especially, ma you know, magical medieval fantasy uh, is is a genre that I, I love being a and d player. So, like, I feel like there's so much more that they just haven't tapped into. And I almost feel like they're playing it a little safe 
uh, within these first episodes uh, and not really doing like pushing the envelope enough. Um, but there are some really funny moments. I actually like the king because he's such he's so I just want to hit him like he's just so annoying. Yeah, I really hope they explore over the him, top, explore him more um, like I, I, like, you know, like you have like Hermes and Zoidberg and all them. When they first came out, they were kind of like these side characters that were just kind of weird. But then they really went into like describing who they are and what they do. Like you had Hermes has his episode about, you know, him being a an accountant and you have uh Zoiberg having his episode about him trying to mate and stuff like that. So like I hope they go in, like and they explore those characters more, what they do, what they're about. I hope they have that with like the king and with all these other little side characters because I think this place has plenty of room to grow because really you only have Elfo, Lucy and Bean, but still right, like even right. Elfo and Lucy you you don't get much of no, them. Well, I'd like to see more. I think you get more you get more with Elfo, I think, but Lucy is really just sort of there um as an antagonist and it's not so much like developing that character. It's that they're really just there to like like to cause trouble. Like Elfo and Bean I think get more development, but I, I definitely don't I, I'm a, I'm a little nervous by the fact that it focuses on those three so exclusively. Um I I I, I think that might be too tight a lens. Like, I, I mean, when you think of the large cast of, you know, of the delivery company, I can't remember the name of it for Futurama. And then you think of the Simpsons family, like they're a little bit bigger cast. So uh, I wonder how that's going to go. And, I, I, and I'm hoping that they're going to develop more. Like, will the father be truly, or is he just sort of recurring? Um, they barely done anything with Una yet. Um, and, and Bean's got a half brother uh, who sounds a lot like Ralph uh, from, from Simpsons. So, you know, and then there's recurring characters too, with like the prince, uh, the prince that got turned into a pig, uh, and then there's like the the one-eyed guardsman. Um, so maybe those eventually become something, but uh, yeah, it's just I, I think you're right in the sense that it needs more time. But also, like I, I, later on in this episode, we're going to talk about Wrecked, a comedy that I feel crushed it right off the bat, and it just it just hit the ground running. And so I sometimes think that it's a cop-out to say that like, oh, comedies need more time. Like, no, I don't I mean, yeah, sure. I, I guess any show needs more time, but that doesn't mean you can't do more with what you have right off the bat. And maybe it's because like something like wrecked or something like Archer or whatever, like the, like I think of those two shows, those are, those are my two favorite comedies that are on right now. And I mean, I was, I was, I was crying from laughter uh, start right off the bat in those shows this one like it's a it's a little bit more of a slow roll and and i don't know i want them to do more i just feel like they could i feel like they could do more with it i like it and i'm rooting for it and i'm through seven episodes uh, so i have three more to go and i'm gonna finish it out for sure and i'm definitely gonna watch the second half of this when the the other 10 episodes that they have ordered uh comes in uh but yeah i mean right now like i i i have a positive review of it but it, to me, it's more like a like a C plus B minus kind of kind of grade, and I'm not like immensely impressed yet. Like I'm, I like it, but I don't love it. Yeah, I I, I just hope that it gets better. Not that it's terrible. I just hope that it gets even better and becomes to the point where it's almost as as quotable and fun as the other two. But I know that's sure. also. It's quite a high standard to to reach. Like I, I just absolutely love Futurama. So, it's. I know it's right. hard to ask of it, but I just hope. I just hope it's also. I'm I'm gonna give it more time, see where it goes. But if after like a season or two, it, it still hasn't hit a stride, like I don't. 
it's just it's okay but i would it's not a thing i'm going to seek out to watch so there's plenty of other cartoon shows like i love f is for family that's a great tv show and i right now i'd rather watch that over this right now but it's not like this is terrible so i just hope it meets its stride at some point but i suggest it um maybe other people like it a little more than me but if you like macaroni stuff you're gonna like this so uh, that's true suggestion yeah it's good it's definitely good um but yeah i think we both like it but maybe we we want to see a little bit more of it so that's disenchantment it's uh, up on netflix right now the first 10 episodes uh, are available uh, so go ahead and take a look because it's it is a good experience and i definitely like the setting and i think there's a lot of positive things to take from it and quite a bit uh to look forward to hopefully uh with the series especially as justin's pointed out like groaning it he, he knows kind of knows what he's doing so uh, i think we can we can trust in the fact that that good things will come with disenchantment all right, so that is it for our breakdown. We are going to slap each other now with beautiful white gloves. Ready? All right. Yeah. And now it's time for the gentleman's challenge. So the gentleman's challenge is a segment we do here on the Lolly Geigers podcast where Justin and I'd like to to give each other a little homework assignment uh, to complete before our next episode. Often this assignment includes uh, watching something or playing a game that we're not really accustomed to, to, to playing. And in order to make sure that we complete our tasks, we come back on the next episode and we quiz each other about it. Now, sometimes we, we give quizzes out to drive the other person qu- crazy. Sometimes we give quizzes uh, and assignments out to just expose them to something kind of cool. Uh, I should also mention that this particular segment is uh, full of spoilers. So if you want to avoid information uh, about any of the stuff that we cover here, your, your best uh, best bet is to skip forward and listen to us thank each other and uh, random other things in life at the very end of this podcast. So uh, with that in mind, I'm going to go ahead and start this week because uh, I want to talk about evil genius. And when I say I want to talk about it, I'm saying I'm being forced to talk about it because Justin assigned me this for homework. I'd rather not talk about it because it's crap. You want to get it over with. I just want to get this out of the way. So Evil Genius is a a true crime documentary series that's up on Netflix right now. It came out back in May 2018, uh, and it's about the murder of Brian Wells. Uh, It it was a very popular and peculiar incident that, uh, or series of incidents that took place back in 2003. Um, and Brian Wells, uh, this, this, this particular case is sometimes referred to as the collar bomb case or the pizza bomber. Um, Brian Wells was a uh, man who lived by himself and he went to a, uh, to a bank uh, wearing this white shirt that said guess on it. And underneath it, uh, he had a collar on that had a bomb on it. And he also was carrying a cane. Uh, that was a gun, so it was like a, a, a cane shotgun. And he walked up to the uh, he walked up to the actual teller, and he gave them a very lengthy note with a series of very complex instructions that uh, no one was really sure at the time whether he, did he write them, was somebody forcing him to do this? Um, and then those instructions, which had they they wanted to get two hundred fifty grand from the the bank and he only got like eight grand from it uh, he went over to like the, the next set of instructions to go over to a nearby mcdonald's to get his like next step of because there's like a hidden set of instructions there which he went and did uh and then the the cops eventually caught him uh, or ran into him at the eyeglass world which was also very i think right next to the next to the mcdonald's and they they cuffed him and then they noticed that he had a bomb on him and so then that's when like all hell broke loose 
and all the cops and state troopers like trying to create a perimeter and they didn't know what to do. They tried to call um, the bomb disposal unit and they were a ways away. Uh, I'm not sure if they said 10 miles or 10, 10, 10 uh, I think it was 10 miles, but they were a ways away. So it was going to take them a t- time to get there. And or I think 10 hours, it was going to take them like 10 hours to get there, which is insane. Uh, so they, they sat there and like, were talking to the guy and he was really calm, but, and he was saying how somebody forced this collar onto them. He was specifically talking about how a black man like forced this on top of him. And like most of the cops were like, they just think that was ridiculous at the time. Um, and then the, the collar itself started beeping and then he started freaking out because he thought it was going to explode. Um, so there was a lot of confusion um, and discussion over whether or not Brian Wells was in on this whole system, like because it was clear at a certain point that there were accomplices of some kind that were uh, that were kind of behind the scheme to put this this collar bomb around him, and maybe he was involved, but he didn't realize it was a live bomb. And then eventually, the bomb goes off and kills him right there in the Eyeglass World parking lot on netflix which yeah. i didn't expect that was coming oh, i was like okay. oh i was look, so i felt so down. bad about this it's like you sent me a message saying please <laughs> never do this again and then but i, I just, just said please I watched no it live deaths you. like please no yeah. actual deaths that's i, I, I didn't i didn't think i was going to do that but like i watched it and then immediately when i saw that moment i stopped everything got on discord and said i'm so sorry i'm so sorry i yeah, didn't know yeah, i saw your message so it's graphic okay. i'm so sorry <laughs> i it's felt fine. so bad so I, I want to be careful here because I I did not enjoy this, um, but I I think part of the reason I didn't enjoy this is because of my personal tastes, as opposed to in my you know my my misgivings about these types of shows, as opposed to the quality of the actual documentary. Um, I think that it's gotten fairly decent reviews. Uh, I think it's got something like an eighty percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which is a pretty good score. Um, but at the same time, I don't like these types of shows for a variety of reasons. One, I feel like these documentaries, especially, I mean, this one had this case where it felt kind of silly and manipulative. Like this happened back in 2003. And the way they set up the documentary was this weird kind of cliffhangery, manipulative type of way. Like, you know, the answers to some of the questions that you're raising, like you're pretending like these questions don't have answers, but they, they very clearly do. And you're just delaying the gratification of that because you want to make this into an entertainment piece. So that's one thing. The other thing is like I always feel kind of kind of dirty for some reason watching uh, these types of shows that are not fictionalized. Like if, if it's a fictionalized show that's inspired by real events, I'm totally cool with that. That's fine because you're fictionalizing it, you're making it different. But when we're why I almost feel like there's a little sense of like hero worship, and there's some uh, like we get we're, we're a little too excited about the creepiness. Like a dude, like people died. You know, it's just like I don't know. It's just sort of weird. Like I, I never feel good about watching them. Um, the second episode was called The Frozen Body. And so shortly after the murder of Brian Wells, which is the heist, the first episode, there was, uh, they get a, the state troopers, I think three weeks later, get a call from Bill, I want to say Rothstein or Rosenstein, um, who is saying that he has a body in his freezer uh, of a man who was killed by Marjorie Deal Armstrong, who was a longtime friend of his and who is kind of set up as the quote evil genius to start the entire series like there's this opening like prologue that details a little bit of marjorie deal armstrong's biography and how she can kind of manipulate people because she's so darn smart into doing whatever it is that she wants them to do and so the second episode is all about this like relationship between marjorie deal armstrong and bill rothstein and how they've had this tumultuous relationship over 30 or so years 
And he like is sort of turning on her. And the question is, is he just playing the cops? And he's like walking the cops through like the different things because he helped her dispose. Like he was helping her dispose of the body. And he's like, I was just trying to buy time. So there's a little bit of bio, bio about him and like about his nature and how peculiar he is. There's constant talking about how they're both like super intelligent, but they're nasty. I mean, they're not intelligent enough to clean their freaking houses uh, every now and then, but whatever. Um, so yeah, really gross people. They're super gross, man. They're, it was just super gross. Like when it comes down to it, if you're the type of person who likes true crime, watch it because you're going to enjoy it. Um, but if you're like, if you're a person who's just not a fan of it, um, definitely don't watch it because I don't think it does anything particularly to bridge the gap or, or at least to, to, to draw in people who aren't already a fan of that style. And then if you're just a person who's sort of indifferent, like I don't think it's that great. Like I don't think that the actual documentary was all that amazing. And like the the attention that we're given these fairly creepy low life people sort of, I just, I just don't think they merit the attention of a Netflix series. I really don't. So, uh, but that's it. That's for me. Uh, not a big fan, not a big fan. I'm sorry that I, I tortured you with this horrific event. I really didn't mean to. This one. It's okay. I remember when it happened, it was 2003, man. Like I, you know, I was, I think I was in, I was like, I was about to graduate college maybe or something like that. So I remember, like, I totally remember when this happened. Um, even in Florida at the time, like it was still in the news, like it was internationally because it was so weird, like this, this weird crime. But what do you got for me for quiz questions? Right, let's get these over with. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. First question is, uh, what did, uh, Marjorie go to school for? Like her, what was, I know she had like a lot of she had five degrees. She claimed to have five degrees. Yeah. I don't know how many of those are legitimate, but what was uh, yeah, it? I don't know if that's true. She claims that. I don't know if that, I hadn't looked yeah, it up. Yeah. But there was one of the documentary documentarian talked about that she went to college for and she got. So do you remember what that was? I want to say like maybe psychology and that sort of accounts for why she's such a, uh, like quote unquote manipulator. But I don't, that's a guess. That's a guess. So it was, she got a master's in education. So that means, uh, yeah. Okay. You're a killer. So there you go. I don't have a master's in education. Uh, master's education. I have, I, I actually have a topical, yeah, I have a, I have one, a degree that's actually in a, in a topic. Education is a little different. Oh, okay. All right, so Second next question. question. How long had Bill known Marjorie? Uh, like 30 to 35 years, something like that. There you go. You got yourself one right there. There's a, there's a, there's a one for you. Yeah, uh, they, they apparently were engaged to be married a couple times and things kind of fell out. It was awful. Um, it was yeah, garbage people doing garbage things. Pretty much. Uh, next question. Uh, eventually, they introduced Kenneth Barnes as a character to who, by the way, is a bad dude. He is one of the guys who ended up going to jail for like forty or sixty years because the basic uh, premise behind this whole case was that Marjorie Deal Armstrong and Kenneth Barnes were um, conspiring. I want to say to kill Marjorie's father, maybe because they needed they wanted like two hundred and fifty grand um, to do something with. I can't remember specifically what they're doing with, and so then they were going to kill. Um, uh then they were gonna kill like the like her her boyfriend at the time or something like that who was who was going to tell on them because that was the body in the freezer was her boyfriend at the time and so they she killed him um and this was not the first time that she's killed she also has all these previous like boyfriends and husbands and stuff like that who died like suspiciously and she's also gotten away with murder before like literally legally gotten away with murder back in the 80s so kenneth barnes ends up being one of the really bad dudes in the very end of this yeah so sorry What's your yeah, question? It's it's all awful stuff. Uh, so, uh, 
What was Kenneth Sparn's relationship with her at the time? They were fishing buddies. There you go, fishing buddies. That's correct. Fishing, fishing buddies. buddies. Finally, on a scale from one to ten, how much do you hate me for making you watch this movie? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. For for watching this, how much do I hate you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I hate you for a lot of things. Oh, Um, thank God. uh, There's a baseline there. Problems with editing, losing files. Yeah. uh, you know, uh, that kind of stuff. Um, completely destroying my bathroom the last time you were visiting twice. Now. I, didn't, I, didn't I had to bring a plumber in, man. Like every time. I don't know. Am I not supposed on. to uh, clean myself with washcloths and flush it down the toilet? No, no, that's not uh, how that works. Whoops. Uh, we have septic, man. What are you doing? Um, so, yeah. Anyway, I made a, a five. A five. Yeah. I, put, I put it in the middle. I was a five. Yeah. So you got, what was things. it? You got. Uh, you missed the first one. I missed, I missed the first two. The so you get two, well, three, three out of four because the last one. I got three. Came, yeah, came I got three out of four. All right, so, okay, cool. All right, so all right, now for the good part. Yeah, okay. my uh, assignment was a TV show from TBS called Wrecked. Wrecked so, is created by Jordan and Justin Shipley. Uh, it premiered in 2016 on uh, TBS, and basically, it's a satirical version of Lost. Um, yes also amazing yeah yeah. so uh basically there is a plane and it's going to to uh, thailand and uh it crashes on a mysterious island and everyone has to try and survive so the first episode is basically introducing all the characters uh some of the people that star in this tv show uh you have zach Krager plays owen owen is a uh, flight attendant and basically uh he hates his job and hates everything about it and hates being a flight attendant uh asif ali plays pack and pack is a sports agent reese darby who is the reason why i love this show because reese darby is just the greatest in everything he's ever been in he plays steve and he's just the guy Dude, on you vacation. gotta keep watching the show because what they do with his character is amazing you just, just gotta keep so watching great. it he's so good uh brian saka who uh, plays danny who also when i saw him I'm, i immediately thought <laughs> i bet you jeff thinks that this is me um because he's question fat and has a beard <laughs> And I was like, and he's kind of dumb. I was like, I bet Jeff loves this guy because of me. Uh, so that's Danny. Allie Mackey plays Jess. She is the the girlfriend to Will Greenberg's character Todd, and Todd's just a giant yeah. dick. And they're from Scottsdale, dude. Yeah. Come on, bro. But Todd's they went great. To ASU. They're Sun Devils. He's I so terrible, and he's great. Um, Jessica Lowe plays Florence, who is best friends with Ginger Gonzaga's character Emma. And then you have, and they're basically best friends. And Emma's a nurse; she's a podiatrist, and she's moving. And she's causes, a doctor, actually. Yeah, she's a doctor. Sorry, doctor. And basically, she's moving, so it causes tension. And finally, uh, Brooke Dillman uh, plays Karen, who's kind of like the super cool Locke character. But like, she's Locke. She's totally Locke. She's really oh, she's rugged. The female movie. version of Locke. So good. Yeah. She's she's awesome. She like kills boar and everything. Yeah. Awesome. Um. So overall, I love this show. I thought it was great. Um, it opens up immediately with uh, Danny's character with uh, Danny basically spilling hot spaghetti everywhere. And I'm like, this is. I don't understand how Jeff. If Jeff does not think this is me, I don't know what else in this world. Of course, I think it's you. Are you crazy? <laughs> so like he's like, oh, hot spaghetti everywhere. Oh God, I'm sorry. Uh, and the first episode is about them crashing, and like there's a super handsome guy that used to be in uh, uh, what was it, British Special Forces. And he's like solving all the problems, but he very quickly dies. And so basically, it's all these idiots and and terrible people stuck on this uh, 
this island trying to figure out. Danny tries to fake that he used to be a cop because he's a giant loser, and so he's trying to impress everybody. Uh, Owen, who's the flight attendant, wants nothing to do with anybody because he just hates everything. Uh, Pack, who's the uh, sports agent, uh, has a cell phone, tries uh, connecting people through there. Reese Darby just doesn't want to bother anybody because he's just such a nice guy, even though his legs get crushed very early on in the TV show. And the girls are super drunk and high because they took, like, painkillers and drank too much on the plane. Um, so the first episode is, like, getting to the characters. Second episode, they're trying to connect on a phone uh, to the outside world because Pac found a phone and the phone, he's, but no one remembers how to dial a normal cell phone number because everyone just is used to speed dial. So, like, the only cell phone numbers I can think of was uh, the Florence's drug dealer and... Mm-hmm. Papa John's. That's Owen. Yeah, Papa John's in Tucson. Yeah. Well, eventually, eventually Emma thinks of the hospital, and that's how like the San Francisco thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just so funny. Like, I like the idea that nobody knows normal numbers anymore. Oh, I know, man. So smart. Like, yeah, that's actually kind of true. Like, I still know my my number from when I was a kid because my parents still actually have that number, and I know my wife's number and my number. And that's it. That's all I got. Like, I know my own cell phone number because I have to write it on a lot of forms. And I know my wife's cell phone number. Outside of those three numbers, I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much the same thing for me. But, like, and then, like, Danny has to clean out the dead bodies out of the fuselage. And he kind of, you know, wusses out because when he goes in there, he has a flashback about his father. But his father's like, of course, I'm not your father. I'm an hallucination. So that's, like, hearkening back to Jack when he hallucinated about his father. Eventually, Danny gets his chutzpah back and goes back in, and uh, he like threatens his dad. He's gonna beat his ass, and like his dad like flinches. Like he's like, "That's right, get out of my face!" And I thought that was just such a funny moment where he's threatening to beat up a ghost, and the ghost flinches at him. And he's like, "Yeah, I get know. out of here!" So funny. It was yeah. so good. But like, um, I, I I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really funny. Um, I do want to continue watching. There's only three seasons so far, so mm-hmm. third season seasons. just premiered um, two weeks ago. I think, yeah. think we're, it's going to be third episodes this week. Uh, each season, like they're, you know, obviously they're still wrecked slash lost, but um, they, they kind of shake it up a bit, which is pretty nice. So second, I, will, I won't say what the themes are, but they have like their own theme. Like second uh, second season takes the whole lost slash wrecked equation and adds like an extra little dose of theme. And then the third one is just freaking hilarious so far. Like, it's yeah, well, I'm honestly- looking at some of these photos of the IMDb, IMDb page and I see it. Jermaine Clements in it, and so I really love Jermaine yes. Clement. So second second season, he shows up towards the end for a couple episodes. So yeah, yeah, I really do want to get forward into watching the rest of this. So absolutely, uh, completely different with... from your TV show, which was yeah. uh, glorifying death. This is hilarious and funny. So I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, you be. Anyways, you got quiz questions. Well, the first one you got right. It's which character are you? It's clearly it's Danny. Yeah. And your rationale is exactly correct. It took literally seconds so, for me of like, this guy spilled hot spaghetti everywhere mm-hmm. and he's fat in a beard. This is me. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I think he is you. But then for me, like there's no better, like whenever I see hot fuzz, like this is honestly the only character that I think is more you than Danny from Wrecked. And that's uh, that's Nick Frost's character. I can't remember his, I can't remember the character's name, but Nick Frost's character in Hot Fuzz uh, where there's the the amazing scene when they're chasing the 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 shoplifter out of the grocery store and um simon Pegg's character like starts hopping over people's uh people's fences like all athletically yeah. and amazingly and like gymnastically like, falls through the fences 
but he gets the amazing look on his face. He's super excited, like, I'm going to do it. Like, oh, this is so exciting. And he goes and he just stumbles forward into the fence and so knocks good. it over. Yeah. It's like my favorite part of that no, movie. I, I get it. I get it. Out. Anyway, that's, that's, that's how I see you. Uh, right. You are much taller, I would say, than than. Oh, yeah, yeah, perfect. I would say you're probably significantly stronger than him, too. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, question number two. If Brendan Fraser and Fraser Crane died in the same plane crash, whose death would be the top story on the news? And please justify your answer. Clearly it'd be Brendan Fraser, because Brendan Fraser is like, he's, he's like his, my motivation for being who I am, for being a cop, you know? Brendan Fraser uh-huh. is the best actor out there. So yeah, of course, sure. they're going to talk about Brendan Fraser. Right. Um, I mean, that's the correct answer, but your justification is pretty poor. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just, sorry. That's the best I can come up. I love how he has, like, out of all of the possible celebrities you can follow, like, his favorite celebrity of all time is Brendan Fraser. I thought that was so funny. Right. Speaking of Brendan Fraser, um, I was doing, I was reading up on him, uh, and he's going to be in a Bollywood movie as the villain. Oh, yeah. So when that comes out, we probably should use, we should probably break it down. I feel like that should be a breakdown movie. Yeah. I I feel like. Bollywood movies are like four hours long, so I don't know if I would want to do it. That's okay. That's all right. We'll just watch it on two times speed, right? And it'll be fast. Perfect. (laughs) Okay. Question number three. Why don't Florence's grandparents believe in cell phones? Because the NSA, man, they're always watching. Wake up, sheeple. That's why. And they're always listening, too. Yeah. Um, so to those NSA officials who are currently uh, listening to this podcast, thank you. We appreciate the downloads. And if you could go ahead and drop a review on iTunes. Be great. Uh, read a review and start. Uh, we definitely appreciate it. So thank you, NSA agents. Yeah. Uh, okay. So you got that one right. Question number four. Who is Florence's drug dealer? Who is Florence's uh... drug dealer? I, it was something weird. I can't remember what it was though. What I was, loved his. Uh, I loved his message, like the fake the yeah. psych out message. <laughs> like, oh so my god, is that you? Are you? you are you good? still there? Wait, wait, wait. Sorry, are you still there? Is it there? Ah, psych. You just yeah. Got... Blank. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't remember. It was just something weird. I just can't remember what it was. It was a uh, former New York Jets and Cincinnati Bengals quarterback, Boomer Esiason. Oh, yeah, it was Boomer. Boomer Esiason. It's such a dumb name, but I thought it was so funny. His, his little message, though, was fantastic. Just got boomered. Uh, and then final question. Please name the things that Steve gave to Todd to comfort him over the loss of his baby Callaway. <laughs> yeah, because he, uh, he acts like it. So, like, Reese Darby's character feels bad because todd's character he says he's missing his baby so reese darby thinks it's like honestly his right. baby but really it's his his driver and it's so funny because he refers to it just like, he, like when he's talking about jess his girlfriend how she doesn't care like it doesn't matter like she used to she maybe keep it in the garage she's and glad it's, it's gone and reese is like what that's abuse yeah and reese darby <laughs> just cares so much all i can really remember that he gave him was that he gave him a neck pillow and like yeah, at the end he's like give him my neck pillow back and he's like, no, I'm not giving it to you. And he's like, all right, I'm not, I'm not doing it anymore. I just want to just come here real quick. And like, he tries hitting with the crutch and stuff. I thought it was so funny, but all I can really remember was the neck pillow. That's that is correct. He did. He did give him a neck pillow, but he also gave him a bag of pretzels, a shaving oh, yeah. mirror. And he thought that like, cause he gave him the pretzels and shave. He's like, dude, I'm not gay. Stop trying to have sex with me. <laughs> and then finally he also gave him a sketch 
that Steve did of the two of them on the beach was quite lovely. Uh, so because you only got one, I'm not gonna be able to give you partial credit for that. I'll take a, I'll take a point two five on that. I'll do that. I don't think no. I think I, I don't think that's that's it. No, I'm just not gonna give you any. Okay, so uh, I'll give you. You definitely got one and three right. I'll give you half credit on Brendan Fraser. So I'll give you a two point five out of five. Is your total? Oh, there we go. That's not about average for me. Failing that's, is, is average. average for you. Yeah. All right. So new challenges. You got something? I got something for you. Okay, I think me and, me and Keith were talking about not too long ago. He asked me if I had watched it. Okay. So I don't know if you've watched it. So I would like to go on Hulu and watch Future Man. So Already Future Man. It. it stars the guy from uh, Hunger Games, PETA or whatever. Yeah, so. I have it on my Hulu list. I have it on Enjoy. my Hulu list. I haven't Enjoy watched it. Yet. I don't yeah. know if it's supposed to be any good. I haven't seen any reviews on it. I've only seen like okay. one preview. So we'll see okay. how it goes. All right. Uh, for you, I would like you to watch the Freeform slash Hulu oh hit God, mermaid Freeform. series, <laughs> Siren. Siren, have you have you seen previews for this? No, I have not. Is this new? Um, I think it, I think it's moving into its second season. Oh, so it must yeah. be great then if they got picked up for a second season. So I'm looking forward to it. So I was looking at the. Uh, I like the the kind of summary for it. Like I couldn't really find where I found it, but it's a mermaid obsessed town is turned upside down when a mysterious girl appears and begins wreaking havoc. That's a that's the IMDb oh. one sentence highlight. It sounds um, exciting then. Then there's an even better one written by IMDb user Ahmet Kozan. Uh, Siren takes us inside Bristol Cove, a coastal town known for its legend of once being home to mermaids when the arrival of a mysterious girl proves this folklore all too true the battle between man and sea takes a very vicious turn as these predatory beings return to reclaim their right to the ocean predatory yeah yeah so yeah Uh, i think they got like fangs and crap yeah oh scary all you gotta do is just not go in the water I think I'm just going to give you nonstop freeform shows for the rest okay, of time. That's what I get. I think that's that's what I get. ABC free family genius. freeform. All right, yeah. all right. It's going to be super lot. wholesome. All right. On that note, let's let's get out of here. Uh, if you are listening, if you would feel so inclined, could you uh, pop over on the old iTunes, drop us a rated review, uh, give us some feedback? We'd love to hear some. If you have any ideas about uh, challenges for each other, we would definitely uh, love to hear that. Things you would want to see Justin do, or things you want to see me do. Uh, you can go up to our website, lollygaggerco.com, uh, or hit us up on Twitter and give us that suggestion. Uh, Justin also does some streaming over on Twitch. Justin, what's your, uh, what's your Twitch, uh, Twitch channel? You can see me on twitch.tv slash jehufa, that's J-E-H-O-O-F-A-H. Um, I do a lot of World of Warcraft. Uh, rating starts here in a couple of weeks. I'm looking forward to that. Oh, boy, I can't wait. Yeah, everyone, everyone's, everyone's oh, sorry. Was my mic unmuted there? My bad. I, right. I had it. <laughs> so... There's that, and uh, yeah, so check me out on there. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, and finally, I think it's time we say thank you to the people and entities who helped this episode get recorded, perhaps more than once. Are you ready? Oh, yeah. Okay. To people who use the reply all email function to ask everyone to stop replying all thus triggering more reply alls as a reply all war breaks out. Please, for all that is good in this world, stop hitting reply all. Never, there is never a good reason to hit reply all. 
ever. And whoever created the reply all function, I hope you're in hell. And if you're not dead yet, when you die, I hope you go to hell. So thank you. Uh, to Florida weather, I want to thank you for making me drive an hour away from my home on Thursday for a JV game. Only get delayed two hours and rained out halfway through it to just have us go home uh, with half a game and also a butt whooping. So thank you so much, Florida weather. And finally, um, for me anyway, to apple pie. Um, I got nothing really here other than you're just delicious. You're like the best pie. Just had some. Um, over the weekend. It's, uh, it's really good, especially the crumb topping kind. Oh, so good. So, apple pie, thank you. And I want to thank Chipotle because after my game on Friday, my wife got me Chipotle and it was fantastic. Um, Chipotle is so good. So, thank you, Chipotle, for being you. Um, never change, all right? And also, less, less salmonella would be great, but never change.